Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Once again, brought to you this year by Huntworth Clothing. For all types of weather, all kinds of terrain, all kinds of budgets, it's clothing that just works. Check them out at HuntworthGear.com. And right now they have their winter clearance event. Uh, much of the store is 20 to 50% off. Uh, check out that Shelton hoodie, Durham pants, the Elkin stuff. Uh, that's some of our favorite gear from the past year, so... Definitely get over there, check that stuff out. Uh, great deals to be had there. And right now, Latitude, I mean, if you're listening to this when it drops on Wednesday, uh, it's going to be the last day, but Latitude has 15% off site-wide. If you miss that, you can use our code BHC to get that same 15% off. And if that code doesn't work, um, I don't know that it's going to work in conjunction with the sale, but if it doesn't work, let me know and I'll get a hold of those guys and... Uh, We'll definitely get you fixed up. Uh, lots of cool stuff. I'm headed to the show in Harrisburg again, the NRA show, Great American Outdoor Show next weekend. Um, so I'll be I'll be over there working in the Latitudes booth um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday uh, of the closing weekend of the of the show. So uh, if you're going to be in Harrisburg that weekend, let me know. Uh, hit us up. I'll, that's where I'll be. So. As always, you know, we got to give a shout out to our partners. Once again, working with uh, companies like uh, Genesis 3D. He's got a special code just for Patreon. So um, you can check that out. Spartan Forge, you can use code Bowhunter to save 25% over there. Big shot targets. Um, man, those guys were crazy slammed at ATA, but I'm hoping to catch up with uh, Brandon and Hunter uh, to, at the show here in Harrisburg. Uh, but you can get 10% off with code BCP there. Um, you know, uh, Zinger and Kanadi, those guys were back with them and uh, looking looking to, uh, you know, s- still be working with uh, Vitalize Seed and uh, maybe a couple others uh, in the works here. But, you know, we do quarterly giveaways for our Patreons. We're doing our Patreon bear hunt in Montana. We're doing our Patreon um, 
deer hunt here in Michigan again this year. Um, we're working on some stuff for turkeys. Um, the whole idea is to build a community here um, around the podcast and, uh, you know, to to kind of connect like-minded people. Um, it's been a crazy ride. Real happy to be um, doing it again this year. And, you know, uh, not, latest Patreon, Jared Van Hees, he runs the Habitat chat the habitat podcast. Uh, he's been on here. Uh, one of the co-owners of vitalized seed, uh, really appreciate his support. And if I owe you guys anything, let me know. Um, I'm going to get everything that I'm backlogged on shipped out, uh, this week. So, um, if, uh, if you haven't got a shirt or, or whatever, uh, let me know and I'll get that shipped out. Uh, that's my main focus this, this week. So anyways, this podcast, um, there's a lot of questions out there about e-bikes and what's a good one. Why are they so expensive? What makes one better than the other? Who's telling the truth? Is it necessary? Um, all of these things. So uh, we're going to dive into that with uh, Dieter Cocken, uh stealth hunting e-bikes. And uh, I think he's pretty transparent in, you know, I mean, he, he shouts out a bunch of different companies that are doing good things. Um, he talks about not necessarily companies, but, uh, components and, and some things that we might overlook, um, that we want to take a second look at when we're, when we're looking at e-bikes, you know, whether it be from Amazon, uh, any of the big three companies or any of these guys that are getting into the hunting space as well. So, um, I hope this is going to, I think this podcast is actually going to cost uh, a lot of money. So, uh, it's going to cost some, some guys some money, uh, because the, these bikes are really cool. And, uh, it's not just, this isn't just a podcast plug for, uh, his e-bikes, but just a, a good discussion about e-bikes in general and kind of what to look for and where the weak links are in them. So I know you guys are going to enjoy this podcast as always. Thanks for listening. All right, everybody, Adam back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And today there, there's a topic, you know, I feel like we go through all of these, um, I don't know, fads or gimmicks, you know, it's saddle hunting, it's mobile hunting, it's kayak hunting. Um, and e-bikes, I feel like e-bikes almost were a thing a few years ago where it was like out West, you had to have an e-bike and they showed you climbing mountains and stuff like that. And now we've moved into, um, the mobile hunter, uh, set up and using them. Um, I remember maybe three or four years ago, seeing John Dudley do a big thing about them when he was with Rambo. I don't know if he still is. Um, and it was, you know, riding them to the stand and, and things like that. Um, and so, you know, a guy that I really respect here, um, both from like a, a, a hunting side, uh, knowledge based, um, you know, very, uh, successful hunter, um, is now started, a, his own e-bike company to make, kind of to, to put the best product out there for the type of hunting that most of us do. Um, and so we're going to shed a little light today on hunting, uh, with an e-bike and kind of what sets these different e-bikes apart. Um, I really want to cover the entire gamut of, you know, the, the $300 e-bike to the $10,000 e-bike and kind of dispel any myths or, uh, things that people, uh, may have about needing them, wanting them, you know, uh, is it a real tool? So, um, Dieter Cocken, stealth e-bikes, uh, been on the podcast before. Um, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How about you? Not too bad. We're, uh, 
I, I'm kind of in this weird situation here where there's nothing to hunt and we got a bunch of snow and now the snow's going away. So I feel like I need to be out shed hunting, but I think it's a, maybe a little bit too early. Um, I don't want to necessarily go into all of these spots multiple, multiple times, but I think that that's what most people are doing. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a weird time here. This is, this is the, the lull. This is, this is the real whitetail lull, I think. <laughs> yeah. It's even weirder up here. I mean, we usually have, you know, at least over a hundred inches of snow, so we don't have hardly anything. So I've even got out. I've never scouted this time of year. It's just not practical, but I've been on a couple times. So it's, uh, it's different. That's for sure. Yeah. So, uh, from an e-bike standpoint, when did you really start to see e-bikes as a, as a tool as far as like, when did they start hitting the, the, the market or get on your radar, um, as far as, uh, a high level whitetail hunter? I think for me, it was probably five years ago. I started doing, it was just the, the fat tire bikes where I started to use those. And then I was still seeing that I, you know, they're way more work pedaling than you think they should be when you throw on hunting clothes and, and equipment and stuff. So I was like, geez, you know, getting sweaty in that, this isn't uh, the best way to do it. So then it was the next thing was, you know, the e-bikes and I, I've kind of, you know, learned over the years that, you know, when I dive into something, I'm going to do some research and I'm probably going to want to buy a better product knowing that I've in my younger years, I've gone the route of trying to do it cheap. And then you just end up doing it over again and ends up being, you end up spending more money than you would otherwise. So I was looking at kind of the big names in the, in the hunting industry. And I knew quite a bit about bikes. My father-in-law was a truck dealer and I put together bikes and, you know, bikes growing up and everything. So I knew the basics of the components and what made, you know, particularly a mountain bike a thousand dollar mountain bike compared to a $2,000 mountain bike. And I, I was struggling to see where some of the cost was coming on some of those, those, uh, we'll just call it the big three in the hunting industry, Baku, Quiet Cat, Rambo, you know, those are the names that everybody knows. And I was just looking at, you know, this is a mountain bike. It has a motor. I know what the motors cost. I know what the batteries cost. I don't understand where some of this inflated cost is coming. So my initial plan was just to build one myself. Anybody could, take a fat bike and order uh, it's the Bafang BBS HD mid drive thousand watt motor. And you can put that on a mountain bike, add a battery display and, and you're off to the races. So I knew what it would cost me to build one compared to what it would be to buy one. And I went down the, the road where I was going to just build one. And I think I was kind of on the early stages of some of the explosion that seems to ha be happening every year with e-bikes where I got in contact basically with the companies that were supplying and building the bikes for, for quiet cat Rambo and Baku. And through them, I started getting some of the, the first bikes that, you know, I was saving thousands of dollars over what it would have cost me to buy a bike from one of them. So originally it was just me, my brother, a couple buddies. And then I saw kind of a, a void in the marketplace where, you know, I can pretty much sell the exact same thing they're selling 
for for less money and that's kind of where my company stealth e-bikes started and we originally started our first year selling bikes with just you know pretty much a copy of somebody else's bike where that's what's happening a lot is people are just rebranding bikes so i was pretty much just rebranding bikes the first year and then after running those bikes for a year i kind of identified you know what's wrong with these bikes what what parts do hunters need better so that they don't break down because it's a weird market where you know hunters don't know anything about bikes and they're all of a sudden investing you know three to four thousand dollars in a bike and they don't have a much of a knowledge base whereas you'd think a person who who's buying something that expensive has kind of worked their way to that but i mean i have customers who have difficulty figuring out how to inflate the tires so you're getting you're getting somebody who doesn't know anything about bikes and you're trying to make something that won't break because they have no ability to fix it they can't problem solve and i don't want to deal with customer service calls so it was like well what can i make most bulletproof and that's where we completely eliminated the derailleur and started you know we're one of the few companies that actually make single speed fat tire bikes for hunters because I quickly realized that hunters didn't need to go, you know, much faster than 16 miles per hour and that they weren't able to drive through cornfields and tall grass with derailers because they'd either get clogged or broke or have a whole lot of problems. And there's a bunch of different reasons why no other companies are kind of doing that. A lot of it has to do with they're just, they're catering to a really you know, the large US marketplace compared to like, I've really, really narrowed what, who I'm building bikes for. Cause basically I'm building bikes that I would use and I'm not selling anything else that I wouldn't want to use or that I think will break or, or anything like that. So from a, uh, and I, and I want to dive into the e-bike, um, you know, kind of terminology and all of that, you know, well well down into the into the weeds on that but how are you using them you know we've had this discussion before where you know it's kind of like a uh overland kayak at this point you know you can you can use it differently you're using it with a different um uh scent profile um all of these these benefits um so how are you seeing them used and how are you using them um, to the best of their ability or how are they best implemented in a, in a mobile hunting scenario? So there, there's some States that are more e-bike friendly than other States on, and I might even be speaking wrong about some of these States cause I haven't done it, but I think Missouri is pretty e-bike friendly. And I know one buddy where he could, he could cover a lot of like trail, miles on the e-bike that he'd otherwise have to walk so states like that it's perfect case scenario rather than walking for three miles you're you can legally take the bike and that's even up here a lot of the roads are being gated off where you can't take four-wheelers and stuff but you could use the e-bike so you can use it that way or even more than that with even like the states that aren't e-bike friendly i'm using if you if you just looked at the roads like they were creeks and rivers the way same way you'd look at it as your kayak because you're really on public land you're really limited where you can park or where you want to park because you probably don't want to park 
you know, a hundred yards from where your stand is. Cause as soon as you park there one or two days, somebody else is going to come looking in there. So a lot of what I do is, you know, I'll park in the, we'll call them the community areas, but then I'll ride the bike down the road, you know, one or two miles and completely disguise where I'm hunting or change, completely change my access angle. Cause everybody else is accessing from the same, same angles, especially like I went to Kentucky and just cause of the, the topography with, you know, you have those deep ridges and you can't park. Like you, even if you wanted to, you can't park on the side of the road. So if you can park someplace else, drive your bike and access other areas that other people can't, then, you know, you're, you're at a huge advantage. And so how are you seeing people using them? What you would say incorrectly? Like, so, so what are some of the mistakes that people make with their e-bikes? I don't think you can use them incorrectly. I mean, a lot of the guys that buy bikes from me, I mean, they're awesome for private land where, you know, you have the trail system, you don't have to walk, you don't have to use a four wheeler, which, you know, whether it's the, the added noise or, you know, other things that, that the deer associate with danger they don't seem to you know this could change down the road but as of right now they don't really react to the bikes like you can as long as you don't stop you can drive right past them and they'll just they'll just kind of look at you so i think you know people just have to look at what their what their needs are for an e-bike and i think that's where you know some of your questions are going to get to but there's a lot of there's a lot of bad information and and there's a lot of people who buy a bike expecting it to do this and it falls way short of that. And then they end up, you know, contacting me because ba- the bikes I sell are basically every one of them, whether it's my, my entry level bike or the most expensive bike, they all have a thousand watt motor on them, you know, the price goes up as some of the components get better, the suspensions get better, the battery gets bigger. But as a baseline, that thousand watt motor is is unbelievable because it can generate 160 newton, newton meters of torque, and it's torque what climbs hills. So any of the hub drives have most of the hub drives have 80 newton meters of torque. So you're talking half half the torque. And even a 750 watt mid drive has 120 Newton meters of torque and the 720 watt or hundred. Yeah. 750 watt mid drives that have 120 Newton meters of torque don't really climb Hills that good. Even, even with that amount. So you're pretty, you want, you want that motor. There's, there are a couple comp, like I won't completely bash hub drives. Cause there's probably, there's probably three hub drives bikes or companies that that can actually do what hunters want them to do and one would be like the rambo megatron is a really expensive bike it has dual thousand watt motors hub motors that can climb hills not as good as a mid-drive bike but it can climb steve pinkston with hardcore e-cycles he's he's been selling dual hub motors for a while his bikes are good and then uh i think it's e-cells has a bigger bike but either even in those cases, those bikes are going to be between four and seven thousand dollars. So the biggest mistake people do is they think they can buy a fifteen hundred dollar hub drive bike 
on Amazon and that it's going to do what they need it to do in almost probably 99% of the time the person's significantly disappointed with the performance. So, uh, yeah, and that's that's what I wanted to get into is like, what what do all these numbers mean? Like, what is a, 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 do you have to look at it from the perspective of, okay, well, I'm, I, I, is everybody, I, I guess when you're talking about um, e-bikes, are you looking at it from um, everybody's going to be hunting, you know, Southern Ohio with big giant hills that they got to climb? I mean, I, I think that that's one of the things where, you know, you get, uh, you know, a 350 watt hub drive, uh, electric XP, whatever, single speed for 800 bucks. Uh, all the Amazon reviews are great on them. And if you were in your campground, you know, it's, it's the greatest thing ever. I mean, I, I that's one that I've, was looking at just looking at okay what are the, what's out there for single speed you know that's out there and people are going to say okay well i can buy this for this why is that not a big deal i went on uh walmart and there's a fat tire bike on clearance right now with a 500 watt hub motor derailleur and all of that it's got a 10 amp hour battery and it's 589 dollars so like where do these bikes where are the breaking points or what are, what are, what should people be looking for in terms of components when they're looking at e-bikes for what we do? Right. So I think, I mean, the majority of people listen to like hunting podcasts are going to be fairly serious. So I'd say for a fairly serious hunter, like the the reality is okay let's look at what it would cost you to buy the parts and build it in your basement so for for just the motor and the battery and like all the electrical stuff that makes an e-bike that's probably like $1400 and then you have to put it on a some type of fat tire bike so let's say like one of the cheapest bikes for a DIY conversion would be like a mongoose or something so that's a $600 bike so at the very minimum, to order the parts and build it yourself, it would cost you $2,000. So if you think you can buy something for $1,500 that's fully assembled, you have to realize that the, the parts in this thing can't be worth very much, especially when we're talking about batteries. I just read something online where like the UK was banning a lot of the, the triangle batteries that are being sold on even Amazon where they're significant fire hazards. And there's like New York city has banned a lot of the, the DIY e-bike batteries. Cause the battery is basically, if you took that battery apart, it would look like you took, you know, a whole bunch of trail cam batteries and welded them together and created this huge system. That's basically each one of those is a cell and if you start skimping on how those are welded or there's actually like a somewhat of a computer system, the battery management system that manage that manages all those cells, makes sure everything's going going good. Well, the easiest way for a company to skip is on the battery. So you're putting a battery in your house that will, if it malfunctions, will burn your house down. You're not putting it out with anything. 
like it will burn no matter what you throw at it. So, I mean, people from just a safety standpoint, I mean, I, and there's certifications, like you should look like even if you buy a bike on Amazon and they, and it says that those, the batteries or the bike are UL certified, then at least, at, at least, you know, you're dealing with something that won't burn your house down. It may not have the performance that you want, but at least it's not an unsafe product. Cause you can go on Amazon and you can look for, and I did this when I was first going to start, you know, building my own bike. It was like, okay, there's a 20, there's three different 20 amp hour batteries. So they're all the same exact size. One costs $800 and one costs $400. And it's like, and you make the mistake of thinking you're like at the checkout counter buying batteries for your trail camera where, you know, let's see if the rail vacs work. <laughs> but the problem is that these, these rail vacs will burn, burn stuff down. So you know, just people have to be cautious with with that part of it. And a lot of the stuff on Amazon, they're misrepresenting what the bikes are actually. Cause there's most of the motors, like when I rate a motor, it's it's uh and I can't even figure out think of the word right now, but there's there's peak peak watts and then there's like actual watts. So most most everybody talks about like the ac actual watts. They don't talk about the peak. Well, when they're advertising their bikes on Amazon, they're talking about the peak. So they're they're selling what they say is a 750 watt motor to the consumer when it's really only a, 50, a 500. So there's a lot of there's a lot of sketchy stuff on Amazon. If you buy one there, good luck. Like you're never going to get your money back. And you know if my recommendation would be if you want to save money, go online and figure out how to build one yourself. Otherwise, buy something where you're going to get some level of customer service because people are going to have like small questions that would take them two weeks to figure out by themselves where, you know, they can call me or somebody else who knows what they're talking about. We could, we can problem solve it in, in 10 minutes. And then also get them apart, you know, because the parts are all out there. That's the biggest, my biggest frustration with, you know, guys on some of the forums that complain about this company or that company where it takes, you know, it takes them two years to get a part. And I know that that part they could have in two days because it's for sale on Amazon. It's not anything special to that bike company or anything. So I think. You know, that's kind of, I like to provide, I recognize people are spending a lot of money on the bike and I'm going to help them as much as I can to make sure that, uh, you know, the bike's working when they need it to work. And I know, you know, hunting season doesn't wait for anybody. You can't afford to have your bike down. I mean, it's go time. So, so you had talked earlier about um, and that was one of the questions I had had was about like peak wattage, looking at some of these Amazon things. And it says like, oh yeah, it's 750 watt bike. And then it says a powerful 320 watt motor. And I'm like, Hey, wait a minute. That doesn't, that doesn't add up. Um, but from a, a mid drive hub drive, and then the all wheel drive bikes, um, you know, benefits, to each, uh, because one thing 
and and this is one thing I, I we talked about it a little bit earlier um, prior to the podcast, but I want to give you a lot of credit. There's a, a Facebook e-bike hunting e-bike forum on there. And I asked if it was his forum or if he was just really active in there because he's always on there answering questions just the same way that he's answering them with me here. Um, like not, not a sales pitch, but just saying like, this is why, this is why, this is why. And one thing that was brought up in there on a, on a hub drive versus a, a, a mid drive is like, if you were to have a chain problem or, uh, a derailleur problem or something on a mid drive bike, you're walking, you can't even pedal. Right. But if you have that on a hub drive, you, you still have a chance to get out of there under the power of the bike. Correct. Correct. So hub drives, it's basically the motor is housed inside the wheel. So whatever torque that that motor is capable of is transferred to the wheel. So the only way you can increase kind of the perceived torque is with a smaller rim because it's easier for that motor to spin a small rim than a big rim. So that's that's where that torque is maximized. It's between 80 and 95 Newton meters of torque. So then the mid drive has 160 Newton meters of torque, but that's multiplied by the front chain ring. Then that's multiplied by the rear cassette and then again, multiplied by the tire. So that's where you can gear a mid drive to outclimb a hub drive no matter what. The advantage of a hub drive would be you don't even need a chain because the it's going to spin no matter what. You don't need a chain. You don't need pedals. You don't need anything. It's going gonna, it's gonna to spin by itself. So that would be the advantage. Also, you know, there'd be maybe some advantage to an all-wheel drive system. But when you think about biking, especially up hills, most of the weight's going to be on the rear tire. So the front tire is going to have limited traction. So you're going to lose some of that benefit, but it's been very, very popular with, with a bunch of different bike manufacturers. I've kind of went the mid-drive route because I wanted to be able to climb anything and not sweat. So I, you know, whether I'm hunting Michigan, Wisconsin, Kentucky, no matter what, like if there's a hill to climb, I don't want to pedal because I don't want to sweat. So I went the mid drive route because I knew that was the easiest way to maximize the torque and the ability of the bike was with a mid drive. And, and, and torque isn't just about like climbing hills because the bike doesn't know the difference between the weight of the rider, the weight of a trailer, the weight of equipment. It's all just work for the bike. So if the, if the bike's in a better situation to, to handle work, you're going to have less stress on the rear components. You're going to have less stress on the battery. You're going to be pulling less watts. You're going to get bigger range. So there's a lot of benefits to, I call it gearing the bikes properly for hunting. Cause you can gear a mid drive completely wrong. And most of the, most of the cheaper mid drives are geared incorrectly to where they really don't climb that great. Cause they have, they have small cassettes, like 28 tooth cassettes, and they have a really large front chain ring, a 40 or 40 tooth chain ring. So those bikes are actually not geared very good to where, you know, there's probably some dual hub bikes that would climb better. So I take those mid drives and I make them climbing beasts and sacrifice top end speed. 
Because as soon as you make them where they're going to climb really well, you're giving something up. And what you're giving up is top end speed. So most mid most bikes like to advertise 28 miles per hour. And 28 miles per hour is basically a 40 tooth front chain ring with the smallest cog in the rear cassette being a 12 tooth. That ends up equating to 28 miles per hour. So most companies want to be able to advertise that. That's what the majority of the public is interested in. So that's why the bikes are built that way. But I know that hunters don't care about max speed. So I'm willing to sacrifice max speed, gear the bikes differently and gear them so that they can climb up anything you, I haven't really had anybody go to a hill thinking the bike would climb it and the bike wasn't able to. Like they can pretty much, if you think you can go up with a bike, it's probably going to go up it. So in, let me tell you, I would say 16 miles an hour, 20 miles an hour is absolutely flying on one of these bikes, like 30 miles an hour, 28 miles an hour, whatever would be terrifying. Um, I, I don't know why in a, in any hunting situation, but even like flat out on the road with all, with all of your hunting gear, that would be way, way too fast. Um, I, I, I don't understand why, why you would, why you would want that. Um, Cause I have bikes that'll do that. Like I sell both single speed and derailleur bikes and my, my derailleur bikes are geared to climb more than most people where I'll put even bigger cassettes in the back. And then my single speed is that bike goes about 16 miles per hour, you know, climb pretty much anything. And it basically just has the one gear. It has the one gear. The first year I sold the bikes, I noticed after talking with all my buddies and guys, I sold bikes. I was like, how often do you shift? And they're like, no, I just left it in the one gear the whole year. And I was like, well, why why don't I just build the bike, eliminate the derailleur, just give them this one gear. So we get rid of all the problems with shifting. Like I hate derailleurs just because they get out of tune and you got a monkey with them and they get bent and they get grass in them and i was like i want to be able to drive through anything i don't need to go that fast so i spent the whole winter in my basement like trying different combinations and trying to get it right and i didn't even think i'd be able to get it right and then i kind of figured out you know what i needed to do and what gearing i needed and i actually now i actually custom fabricate some of the parts where they don't even exist like some of the rear single speed cogs that i use don't nobody sells them so i have a place locally that that actually machines them out of aluminum and those are the ones i'm using to get the gear that i need because a single speed is a it's a simplistic design but it's actually really complicated because you're you're limited by the distance between the front chain ring and the rear cog and that distance has to be perfect for so many links in a chain and you can't eliminate one link. You have to eliminate two links at a time. So you have to get that pretty much perfect to where you're not overly relying on what's uh, referred to as a chain tensioner to keep everything kind of tight. And if you get that perfect, it's kind in the single speed world, it's called the unicorn gear because there's only like a couple different gearing combinations that are going to work for each for each distance. So I was able to find the unicorn gear for a couple different bikes that 
it was the perfect gear for the gearing that that hunters would want and now i can drive those bikes through like i have one video where i'm driving through it's five foot tall grass and the thing's totally clogged with grass but because the system's all everything's all tight doesn't really make a difference there's no derailleur or, you know even mud mud's really hard on derailleurs corn fields are a complete minefield for derailleurs that's where a lot of guys break them off and there there's guys breaking three or four derailleurs a year and you know those that's kind of kind of the people that i'm marketing to and you know i know the more information i get get out there the easiest sell for me is a guy who has an e-bike like i can sell him an e-bike in five minutes because he understands the the limitations or what he needs and he can recognize that that we're selling something that's that's unique and he can't really buy it from anybody else and and those are the guys that that uh end up being the easiest customers for sure so with the um the mid-drive bikes um now you have um offering now of a of a belt drive correct and that seems to the average guy who's just getting into e-bikes like what in the world is this and it seems even almost more gimmicky than an e-bike itself because it's like you know you you don't see as a as a regular you know, consumer of, you know, you just see the big three throwing stuff at you, or you see the bikes from Amazon or every campground in the country has a hundred e-bikes running around and you're not seeing belt drive. So what's the story with the, with the belt drive? So the, the company's gates belt drive. So I actually had a bunch of meetings with their engineers and, and their people and, guys who know anything about bikes so the biconic warthog has been around for three years and it's uh it's a belt driven bike with the roll-off hub and the roll-off hub is a really expensive bike part like it's a two thousand dollar internally geared hub so instead of having a derailleur all the gears are in the hub so the biconic warthogs i think it's seventy eight hundred dollars so it's a it's an expensive bike with an expensive part and that was belt driven Reason there's not a lot of belt belt drives is one when the belts first came out they were they were prone to slipping and two you need a special frame to accept a belt like there has to be a break in the frame if you think of the rear of the bike there's a triangle the chain or the belt has to get inside that triangle so there has to be a break in the frame for it to get in there and so I started working with a different company where I could get a bike with the, with the brake in the frame. And then with Gates, new technology, the CDX te- technology, the belts are, you know, less likely to slip. And then I'm also making that whole system better by the way I'm gearing them. I'm going to have, a larger rear cog than anybody's using with belts. So if you think of the rear cog, if you use a large one, the belt's going to be in contact with way more teeth than it would with a small one. So I'm going to maximize the belt tooth contact. 
and the belt's going to be in a frame that's specifically designed for belts because you need a very rigid frame because you can't have any flex in the system. Otherwise, if you get slack in your belt, you can have some problems, same as a same as a single speed. But the benefits of belts are, I mean, they're way stronger. They're used on motorcycles, industrial equipment. They're stronger. They last longer. You don't have to put oil on them, less maintenance. They shed the debris very well. So that's where we're going with, with our new single speed that'll be It'll be offered in either a belt. You can get it in a, with a belt, a regular chain signal speed. You can get it with a derailleur, or you can get it with that uh, that expensive roll-off hub, which is, the roll-off hub's amazing. So basically, you're getting all the benefit of a single speed, and you have 14 gears inside that hub. It's just a really expensive bike bike part. So the only, like the, the hunting-related bikes that have that component is, like I said, the Biconic Warthog is seventy eight hundred bucks. I think then uh, the Baku Yager models are all chain driven roll off hubs, and I think those bikes are like seven thousand or something like that. It's cra- the prices are crazy, and I recognize how people think that it's crazy. And you know the way my bikes are priced, like I make no more money on my most expensive bike to my other bike, like all the margins are pretty, pretty much the same where I don't care what people buy. I want people to buy what, what fits them and their needs perfectly. I like to do telephone consultations to make sure they get exactly what they want. Just cause I know it's a lot of money. I recognize that, that people are, you know, taking a chance on me you know, however you want to say it with, with, with their investment. And, you know, I don't, I want to make sure they get exactly what they want and that if, you know, anything happens that, that they're taken care of where they're not kind of, you know, left in the, left in the wind with trying to figure out how to fix this thing by themselves. So with everything that you're doing, especially from the, the single speed angle, do you have uh, like any protection, any fear of the other companies like just taking and doing exactly what you're you've all of your research or do you have like the ability to retrofit some of the other bikes to um you know the setups that that you've built I've kind of thought that somebody somebody will end up probably doing it you know i'm just trying to you know build my brand and my company to where you know i'm doing it right like other companies could probably do it right like i don't know if any of the big companies would do it just because they would limit they would eliminate limit their their consumer by doing it because if you you know, not everybody just wants to go 16 miles per hour. Like the vast majority of the bikes they sell, they're all derailleur bikes. And, you know, at this point, the parts don't exist. Like unless they, somebody would have to start fabricating, fabricating the parts to really go out and copy me. Cause anybody can turn, you can turn any bike into a single speed, but like you can do it 
probably a hundred ways wrong and one way right. So just because you can do it doesn't mean it'll work. You know, I see stuff with with what different companies have come out with and I kind of shake my head. Like a couple of them are like, I'd be surprised if this person doesn't get fired <laughs> because like, I don't know what the heck they're thinking, but you know, it's a weird, it's a weird marketplace. Like if you look at the numbers, it doubt, like since I got into it and my numbers have reflected this too, where like, if you look at like sales in the United States, like it doubled every single year. And so there, there's, there's more and more competition and, and most of the people out there like there's so many rebranded bikes where people are drop shipping bikes and doing different things and kind of just re-putting their name on it or whatever like because I, I can tell like dealing with because i deal with probably three different distributors who are you know and they're showing me pictures of what they're doing for me like there's baku's right next to it and quiet cat so like they're all coming from the same place so I can tell like a frame and where stuff's probably coming from. But the problem with like drop shipping bikes is there's, especially when you get like even the mid price price bikes, like there's some parts that are, that I don't, I'm shocked why they put them on bikes. Like, cause, cause you have the bow hunter. So that bike has some parts when they try to originally, you know, import it that, that are just prone to failure. So I, I change a lot. Originally I'd get mid range bikes. I'd strip them down, replace a bunch of parts and resell them. And now it's kind of like, I'm starting to grow more and more where some of these companies are seeing what I'm doing, where they'll, they'll more custom make stuff for me where I can kind of get a little bit more creative without doing half having to do as much to the, to modify the bikes to what I need. But it's just uh it's a unique marketplace i guess but but uh you do you do definitely for the most part you do you can be a smart consumer and like if you look at you know one of those big three name bikes and compare it part to part to part with mine you can save some money but for the most part as the prices go up the quality goes up and if you kind of asked about what for people to look for i think like bottom line, uh, you know, for a hunter, you'd have to look at, you'd look at the brakes. So what kind of brakes does it have? You know, the, the worst brakes out there are mechanical brakes. Next best is hydraulic, two piston hydraulic, and then four pistons, the top of the line. So that's brakes. Next thing, tires. Hunters are going to want flotation. Tire A tire is flotation over mud, sand whatever so i'd say hunters are going to want a minimum of a four inch tire you can get as big as a, a 4.8 inch tire and then you look at battery size i'd say you'd want a minimum of a 15 amp hour battery because like some of the companies like even like quiet cat they're trying to make their bikes look more affordable by putting 10 amp hour battery which is just it's a ridiculously small battery so you probably want at least a 15 amp hour battery. I sell them as big as 30 amp hours. So can you explain to us what that amp hour means? Like how that translates to uh, mileage or like why that's important? So the, now I'm losing the calculation right off my head, how it calculates to watt hours and that, but basically the amp hour is how long the battery is going to last. It's uh 
a 15 amp hour battery, like with throttle only and hills, I'll see anywhere from like 15 to 20 mile an hour range, 20 mile range. So for most Midwestern guys, that's a good number. That'll get you back and forth from your tree stand. You can check a bunch of cameras and you're probably, you're not going to run out of battery. You charge it over overnight and you're good to go the next day. Some of the bigger batteries, guys who go out West, you know, if you're thinking you're going to be covering a lot of miles, you know, you can look at, if you double that range to a 30 amp hour battery, then you're looking at, you know, 30 to 40 miles. So it's just a matter of how far you think you're going to go today and, and recognizing that a lot of the cost of the bike is going to be tied up in the battery. But you definitely don't want a 10, 10 amp hour battery because then you're in, you're like playing with like eight to 10 miles and you don't have a whole lot of wiggle room. And, you know, if your battery goes dead, then you're pedaling. And, you know, the way the bikes are designed and, and cost wise, you know, they're not, they're not the lightest bike in the world to be pedaling around. So, I mean, you're going to want to have the battery power. Most of my bikes are designed for, especially the single speeds are throttle only application where if you think you're going to want to get some exercise or you're going to do a lot of pedal assist or you want a wide variance of uh, gears, then you're definitely going to want a derailleur. And whether that's, you know, a high quality derailleur or an internally geared hub, you know, you can go either way with that. But you can, that's where I like to talk to the people and see what they're going to do with it. Because if you're planning on, you know, hey, you know, I'm going to hunt, but then I want to, you know, maybe bike ride with my wife or kids or whatever. You know, maybe you want a derailleur. Maybe it's not, it's not worth it to you to eliminate that as a possible problem in the future when you get the benefit. Because a derailleur, I mean, it's an amazing invention that, that uh, somebody figured out even how to do that. But if, you're not going to shift and you're going to drive through cornfields, then you don't even need it. And so I kind of stopped you there on the, on the battery, you know, so you said, you know, brakes and tires, battery, is there anything else that, um, you know, when you're, you're looking at these things is important, uh, from a hunting standpoint. And then, the, you know, the motors, I, I mean, I'd buy as much bike as you can afford, like with doing some research, because you're get you're gonna get value in in what you're getting. So, I think the the worst value for the most part is some of the like the big name bikes, depending on which one it is. Because like I think Rambo has a a dual. 500 watt bike and it's pretty expensive hub drive bike but i would never buy that like i think you'd be better off with a quality 750 watt almost but it's kind of give and take i mean there's good 750 watt bikes like i'd i'd buy it i'd spend the money and buy it from like i don't sell hub drive so i mean if i if i was gonna try to do it cheap like i think the guys at Kaufman's Outdoors do a pretty good job with their with their lower end hub drive bikes. Like I, I feel my mid drives are better than theirs, but 
if you're looking to get into you know that price range where because i could sell like if i all of a sudden decided i'm just going to go cheap which is oddly where I th it looks like quiet cats going kind of backwards in that direction but if i want to do it cheap and try to attack that 1500 to 2000 dollars marketplace i'd sell way more bikes in that price range because that's where there's a there's a large group of consumers and that's where all those amazon bikes are and all this stuff popping up and and everything but I know I don't want to sell a bike to a guy and have him call me disappointed that it it doesn't do what he expects it to do. So I sell all I sell is a bike that'll do everything that you expect and more, no matter which one you buy for me. And that's, I mean, I'm kind of a a one man show, and I don't want to be answering calls from people burning up controllers because that's what happens. So what happens with a hub drive when you try try to climb a hill and it doesn't have the torque to do it hub drives basically try to generate enough momentum into the hill where they can carry some of that momentum into the hill and hopefully hopefully make it but at some point they're going to be maxed out and that hub just doesn't have the torque to turn the tire so that starts to overheat the whole system and it fries the controller the controller controller is kind of the brain of the whole operation it's sending it's taking power from the battery, sending it to the motor and sending it to the display and doing a bunch of different other things. So you just, you fry the whole system. It's like if you had, if you had a really fast power drill and you took a really huge drill bit and you tried to drill through, you know, a piece of oak, at some point it's going to grab and not want to turn. And if you just sit there with your finger on the, on the button, it's going to just burn everything up compared to if you took a different drill with one of those hand handles on it that would, that pretty much would spin you in a in a circle if it if it stopped grabbing that's torque so that's what the mid drive does when it's trying to turn that wheel and that's where you brought up chains if you have a mid drive in the in the wrong gear the motor's so powerful that it's going to it wants to turn that tire and the chain becomes the weak spot. You can get around that where if you have the, like my single speeds, I haven't had anybody break a chain because it's not in a gear that puts that much stress on the, on the chain. It's, it's in a gear that's easy for the motor to turn. So you can get around some of that with the, with the single speeds. But if you have the bike in the wrong gear where you have the bike in the gear that you would use to go 28 miles per hour, which is your small cassette in the back, and you try to climb a hill, the motors are going to say, okay, let's go. And the chain's going to become the weak point. And that's where you, where you can bake, break a chain. I think the other thing I need to bring up before, in case we get the public land question. So this is probably the most asked about question with, with what's public land legal? What can you use? So so most states are class two public land legal, where the state considers a class two e-bike basically a bicycle. They just say, okay, it doesn't have a motor that 750 watts equates to about one horsepower. So they're like, okay, the motor's less than one horsepower. We're just going to call it a bicycle. So even though my bikes have a thousand watt motors with 160 Newton meters of torque, the motors are programmable, so you can program the motor 
to run under 20 miles per hour, and then it only needs 750 watts to accomplish that. So you can have, all my bikes are public land legal, and most of them, like my single speeds, I ship with the 750 watt sticker because that single speed gear, it, it's mechanically incapable of going 16 miles per hour. Even if it, no matter what you did to it, it can't go over that just because the gearing can't can't turn the tire fast enough to go that fast. So with those bikes, since you don't even need to go or can't go over 20, it doesn't matter how the motor's programmed, you're still going to get all the benefit of the 1,000-watt motor with all the 160 newton meters of torque, but your class 2 public land public land legal with uh, with that bike. Rather than a lot of people online will ask, hey, I need to be class 2. You know, they don't want to buy some of these other bikes. They rather buy something that's going to be able to do what they need it to do, but they don't think they can. But the that motor's programmable. The laws are really weirdly written and almost unenforceable. I'm sure there'll be some clarification down the road, but you know, we've talked before. I'm with I'm a state trooper, so we deal with with different laws and how they're written. And a lot of this, like I get in arguments online all the time. And a lot of this has nothing to do with e-bikes. It has to do with other laws. It's like the state has to define if this is a bicycle or a motor vehicle, because there's all kinds of different laws that come into effect when it's a motor vehicle. Like you're talking open carry, you're talking drunk drivings, you're talking all these other laws. And it has to be clear cut what this vehicle is. Is it a bicycle or is it a motor vehicle? And that's where the under 20 miles per hour operating at 750 watts, it's basically a bicycle. So that's so anywhere you're allowed to use a bicycle, a wheeled vehicle, you you should be able to use a class two e-bike. And you know, there may be different ordinances here or there, but like the state and federal standard is that class two e-bike standard. And then class one is basically under 20 miles per hour, 750 watts with no throttle. So on your bike to be compliant, all you'd have to do is unhook that the throttle. And then when you pedaled, the bike motor would be engaged and you'd be class one compliant without a throttle hitting all the, the other points you needed to hit so from the conversation earlier about battery life distances all of that and having the motors be programmable up and down could you program them like let's say that you were way out in the boonies somewhere and you were running out of battery right 20%. Could you go into your controller, move the battery down to use less power to extend that life? The best ways to extend range, you know, in that situation would be pedal assist. You're helping the motor do power and then not going as fast. The faster you go, the more energy you're, you're going to pull from the battery to go that speed. So it's, it's a pretty easy calculation so the faster you want to go the more energy you're going to pull the harder you make the work on the motor so a hill is work weights work all that's work that's gonna 
reduce range. For the average guy, to, the easiest way to increase your range on any e-bike would be a thinner tire. So the big tires have more friction going down the roadway. They take more energy to turn compared to a four-inch tire or even smaller, but I think hunters would probably settle on a four-inch tire. And then inflation. The more, in hair, more air you have in the tire, the easier it is to turn, and then you're going to get more range that way. Because I had, I had a couple people who had, who actually bought the big battery for me, the 25 amp hour battery, and they had 4.8 inch tires, and barely any air in the tire. Because you're going to get better traction, better ride, a bunch of different benefits from from not having much air. But you're going to lose distance to where they're like, hey, I thought I'd get. 25 to 30 miles we're only getting like 15 and i'm well that's kind of weird and i started asking them questions and well you know they they never put any once i shipped the bike they never really put any air in the tire so it came you know kind of almost probably like half flat which uh they liked because it was a good ride good traction and everything but it will reduce your uh your range from your battery so for a regular guy gets an e-bike from, from anywhere, from you, from Amazon, from anywhere, like what are some of the like number one upgrades or hacks that you'd say, okay, as soon as you get an e-bike, like as soon as you're going to set it up to hunt with, these are the things that in all of my years of using them, I found the most helpful. So I think for, for hunters, the you can make your tires almost virtually puncture proof. And the way I sell them is if you buy Tannis tire liners, which is a, a foam liner, it's basically the tire, then you have the Tannis liner, and then the inner tubes inside that. So the Tannis liner is maybe a half, three quarters inch thick. So basically, if if a nail came through, it'd go into the, the foam part of the tannish liner before it punctured the inner tube. So that gives you some puncture resistance. Plus, if you did have some type of a catastrophic failure with your inner tube, if you broke the stem or something like that, the tannish liner has enough foam in it where you could ride the bike flat, where you wouldn't need any tire in it or air in the air in the tire. And then I also put flat out, which is a Kevlar sealant to where if you did hit like a long thorn punctured through the tannis into the, into the inner tube, this Kevlar sealant would seal the hole and you'd be able to get home. So, you know, we don't want to get stranded wherever the heck we're at. I think, you know, one of my buddies who was kind of with me along the road here where he bought one of the first bikes for me was going out to Nebraska all the time with those goat heads and stuff like that. And, you know, he'd go through tires left and right till, you know, he started using the Tannis with the, with the flat out and then he had no problem. So I think for hunters, that would be a, a big thing would be the Tannis liners. And then, uh, you know, just what you're going to do with the bike. Like a lot of times guys are buying bikes, sinking their four wheelers and, you know, you're going to put, different stresses on the bike. I, I sell one rack that's a reinforced rack where people can put tree stands and different things. It's about 14 inches wide. So it's wider than a normal rack where I think all I 
most of my bikes come stock with what I think that that people want where you know with some other bikes it might be an upgrade but guys are going to want fender fenders you know rear and front fender and they're probably going to want a rear rack somewhere that they can uh you know you can strap some sticks if you uh if you need or or some trail cameras or put a bag back there but i i don't know how you drove your bike basically what i how i drive my bike is i have my my stand and sticks and backpack on my back and then i use a bow uh a jacked bow sling where the i have the sling around my neck and then when my my hands are out on the handlebars the bow is just resting across my arms so i can I'm not bumping my sight. I can see it. I can keep things. If I had, if for some reason I had to fall off the bike, I wouldn't have to worry about my bow hitting the ground. And, and I ran it like that last year. And I really, I really liked it that way. It was nice to have that. Like a shout out to Jack. I met him at the, the mobile hunter expo. He was right across from me. That thing's awesome. Just for one for on the bike, but just walking to your tree, taking that, you, know, you can just hang it around your neck. You know, you can, if you need to have two hands to to look at your phone on Onyx or whatever, you don't have to put your bow down. It's not banging around on your backpack. It's just kind of hanging in front of you. And, you know, if you forget your bow rope one time, you, you can still get up the tree without having to do the nightmarish one-handed shuffle up the, mm-hmm. up the tree. So, so that's a, that's a, that's a great product too for, if you're getting a bike or even if you're not. Yeah. I, uh, I didn't have that luxury. Uh, most of the time when I was using it, I had my longbow. And so going a- across ways was not, was not an option. Yeah. So I've, wide. so I've got a double, um, uh, like milk carton, milk, milk crate, like one of the extended okay. ones on the back. Um, then I had a bow holder on that and I had it running up and down, you know, kind of parallel along because there was no other way for me to carry that bow. Um, it was just too long and it was way too, way too wide. It's 60 inches wide. So I had to get creative. Um, yeah. so I watched, I watched a couple of videos with a couple of trad guys and what they were doing. And that's kind of the way that they were, that they were running it, but. But I'd yeah. say that's really the must, probably the get your tires where you're not going to get holes and figure out how you're going to carry your bow. And, you know, other than that, I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways you can start strapping stuff and using different racks. And So I want to, so because I know that you're on that forum and I know you get a lot of questions from guys and things like that. Um how about the flip side of that? How about the, how about the don'ts? Um, you see a lot of these bikes with, you know, just everything strapped to it. They're fabricated just about everything. Um, are, is there anything that you see kind of like that maybe trending or, uh, that keeps popping up where you say, I would not do that to my bike. I haven't seen a whole lot of that with uh like a lot of guys come up with some cool ideas and there's a lot of there's a lot of i think the bike space is kind of the early saddle hunting days where there's there's a lot of stuff that doesn't exist and the market's kind of shaping itself around what people need i mean the only i 
I mean, it. I wouldn't buy a bike off Amazon. Is about that's the best <laughs> advice. Like, because people post that all the time. Like, hey, what about this bike? And nobody responds. And then every so often, you see the guy who he ended up buying it, and then he's talking about how it doesn't work, and stuff get stuff's broke and not answering calls, and you know. And I talk to a lot of those people where, you know, there's people who say, oh, this, this 750 watt bike climbed some serious hills. And it's like, unless physics doesn't exist where you're at, you know, that's, that's not true. And then some other guy seeing that, oh shit, then he buys it. And then he's completely disappointed with his purchase because everybody, and I don't know why, like, they just can't, like, it is what it is. Like, Every single hub motor that's a 750 watt can only generate 80 newton meters of torque. Doesn't matter what bike it's on. That's just, that's all it can do. Like that's, that's just the nature of the beast. So it's not gonna, if they're not gonna climb hills, like if you're gonna just be flat landing it, then yeah, maybe, maybe you could get away with it. So with what you're saying there and you're saying, that they can only generate uh, the 80 Newton meters of torque. Is there like, I guess what is the weak link it, or are all of these motors essentially the same is a 70, 750 watt hub motor apples to apples to apples. If well, they're, that's a, they're it's not 80 talking Newton meter, it's 80 Newton meters at the best. And that's a Bafang hub motor so most of these other ones if they're not saying what it is it's not a bafang hub motor so you might be down to 60 newton meters of torque and a whole other bunch of problems like bafang is the industry industry standard so if you're buying any hub motor and it doesn't say it's a bafang it's it's off brand so i mean it is what it is so the motor the hub motors, so let's say like the Rambo Megatron has the Bafang 1,000-watt internally geared hub motor. So it's the Cadillac of hub motors. So that's 95 newton meters of torque. So that motor, if you have two of them, you know, you're going to be, you're going to probably be over 160 newton meters, but you're not going to be able to multiply that torque by the chain ring and the cassette. So that those bikes will climb. And there's other ways you can get around it too, like Steve Pinkston with hardcore e-cycles. He's using a I think he uses a 60 volt system. So he's he's putting even more power into the system and he's using big hubs. And that's how he's going about tackling hills. And e-cells is doing the same thing. But none of the bikes on Amazon are are doing anywhere near that. And you know, you can kind of tell like there's like like if I read their description, like there's some red flags that I can usually see where they're they're lying about. Well, I, I don't know if it's lying or misrepresenting or whatever, but I can see where it is. Like especially if they start, if they as soon as they start saying it's a thousand watt hub motor, like chances are it isn't. And you know, if they're saying seven hundred fifty potentially could be a 500 so i wouldn't i wouldn't buy one from amazon like i'd try to 
you know, you're kind of, I'm trying to think who I'd probably call Kaufman just because you're going to want to talk to somebody at some point. Like, cause all these things, they're like anything. I mean, they're going to, stuff's going to go wrong with them and you're going to not be able to figure out how to, how to fix them. And like, I could care less with people. Like I've gave shout outs, right? Four different companies on this, but so, I mean, I could care less what somebody buys. Like if they buy from me, I want them to be happy with what they bought. And I don't want people to, I mean, I never started this, we'll call it a company to, to make money. I mean, I got a, a real job. This is kind of a, a fun hobby, but I mean, I, I hate to see the guy spend two grand on a piece of garbage is what, what pisses me off more than anything. Cause I mean, I know it's not going to work. And then a lot of times like it's, you're even like, I remember I, I had one guy online that was all, I don't know. I think I told him it wasn't some, like I was in one of those moods where you just weren't going to take any freaking listen to any, any crap. And I said something that probably came across arrogant or whatever. And he got all pissed off or whatever. So then he bought, he bought what I told him not to buy. And then, you know, a month later I'm seeing that he's complaining that it doesn't work and it's broken. And, you know, it's just, uh, it's unfortunate that they're so expensive because you'd think for $1,500, you'd get something halfway decent. And a lot of times that's not the case with, with, with the Amazon stuff. Cause those bikes are, so I get, now that I'm selling more and more bikes and and though and all the distributors are overseas in China, you know, that's where Bifang is and it's where they're building the batteries and you know, that's where they're building Baco, that's where they're building Quiet Cat, and that's where I get my parts. I try to I get some stuff fabricated here, you know, but it is what it is. So those companies, there's like there's like three or four factories over there. And so all these brands that you're seeing pop up on Amazon and they're just, re- they're just, they're just cycling like this. Like they're just like, there's just, it's like a tree and there's all these branches coming off of it. It's this, it's the same single, same thing at the, at the end of every branch. And they're just repackage them, selling them. They've recognized that there's a huge marketplace for, for those bikes. Most of the reviews are lies, garbage. And I've had, I get contacted by lots of companies that want me to start selling stuff from them. And most of the time, you know, I could probably save money buying parts of stuff from them, but almost always the batteries are not UL certified. Like that's, that's the weak link in most of the, the cheaper stuff. And I've asked some of these companies, I was like, you know, is the battery UL service? And then, you know, you're talking in broken English half the time, but it's like, no, it's too expensive to get that done. So they have to pay to get that, that process done. And that certification is the batteries and the bikes, the whole electrical system of the bike and the battery is load tested. You know, it's overcharged. It's, they basically throw all these, these possible problems at the bike and make sure it doesn't start on fire compared to a bike that doesn't go through that process. You know, you could have weak welds you could have a bad battery management system you could have 
you know, wiring harness inside the bike that's not thick enough or not done correctly, and you have a weak link, and that's where you get a problem. So, you know, look for those UL certifications. Probably stay away from Amazon. Your best bet, if you have any type of technical skills, would be to build one for yourself. Because you could, you could build, you could probably build an okay thousand watt mid drive for twenty two hundred, and then you could buy or you could build a pretty awesome one for about 3000 and it's all comes down to parts. Like the parts get more export expensive, the suspensions, the brakes, you know, it's all, it all just adds up. And when you buy a cheap bike, you're just getting cheap parts and it's, it's not going to last. Like I, most of those Amazon bikes, I'd be surprised if they last more than a season. So on your bikes, on any of the major reputable brands that have, you know, have all of these certifications, all of that sort of stuff, kind of looking past everything that we've kind of talked about as far as like burning up a controller or something like that, um, as far as say two years, three years down the road, what are the the wear points on these uh, e-bikes um, and what things should people be servicing and, and, and making sure as far as like maintenance year over year on them. The bikes are, I mean, they're pretty resilient and, you know, be a lot of just simple bike maintenance where like, if you take care of the batteries, the batteries are supposed to be good for a thousand charges, which is a full drain to a hundred percent. That's a, that's a charge. So they're, they should be good for 20,000 miles. Like how many miles did you put on your bike? Like 28. <laughs> yeah. So you're never going to hit that number. So, so if you take, if your battery, so at, at the end of the year, charge your battery up to a hundred, take it for a little ride, let it sit in your house at probably 80% is, is a good rule of thumb like you don't for whatever reason you don't want to start storm right at 100 percent. take a little off of them but they're they're way more resilient than you than you'd probably think the rest of the the bike you know you're talking just regular chain maintenance getting some oil on your chain you know you can your brake pads may be needed to be replaced every couple of years you know, you can check your tires, but most guys, like most hunters aren't putting very many miles on them. So that's where, like, I just know that this thing needs to work when it needs to work and it can't have any weak spots. Cause you know, I, I don't have, I'm not having any customers who are putting a thousand miles on them. And that's where like the belts just eliminate one more maintenance part of the bike where it's just, it's a, it's a polyurethane belt with, it has uh carbon fiber cords in, inside of it. So, I mean, you just rinse it with, with the hose and you're good to go there. And so uh, for guys that have listened to this and they're like thinking about uh, getting a bike or, 
they're like, okay, uh, what are we talking as far as like what bikes, how many different models do you have? And, and what's like, kind of like the, the high points of each and like price ranges. So my, my most affordable bike would be the stealth. Well, it's the X seven now. So it's a derailleur bike for 3000 is my entry level derailleur bike. It's, I put a different front chain ring on it so it'll pretty much it'll out climb almost most of my bikes will out climb probably 80 to 90 percent of the even like the mid drives out there just because they're geared different so that's my entry level derailleur bike 3000 next step up is probably my most popular bike was which is the single speed bow hunter has uh max speed of 16 miles per hour has a 15.6 amp hour battery which is most plenty for most midwestern guys you can get it with a 25 amp hour battery all my bikes i'm also like i forgot to mention this with the brakes is uh you're gonna want 203 millimeter brakes at least on the front 180s on the back is okay but a lot of your braking's on your on your front so you want big brakes because if you think of that that disc for for the brake caliper to stop a big disc, it's spinning like this fast compared to a small disc, it's spinning real fast. So it's much easier to get good braking on a 203 millimeter brake. And so those both those bikes have two piston hydraulic. From there, my bikes start to bump up to where they have four piston Tektro brakes, which is a better branded brake. And then they have an inverted front suspension, so better front suspension. And then they have a little bit bigger battery, 21 amp hour battery. And then it's geared a little bit different to where it climbs a little bit better. But by making it climb better, it's not as fast. So it's like 14 miles per hour, which is where the bull hunter is a good all around climbing gear. And then the other bike, you know, if I've, you know, bigger customers that are, you know, 250 over 300 pounds, I usually recommend you know, get the bike that climbs a little bit better because then it's going to be geared better to have, handle that additional weight. So that's the Hunter, the Hunter model. And the Hunter model is actually, it's a clone of the, the Baku Mule. Like it has, every part's identical. Like it, it's made in the same factory. It, every part's the same. So that's the Hunter model. And then I also sell that with some really tricked out derailleur options where you have really big cassettes 50 tooth cassettes because the bike the better the bike the climbs it's a mathematical equation where you divide the teeth in the front chain ring by the teeth in the rear cassette and multiply that by the size of the the rim so the smaller you go in the front and the bigger combination of the smaller in the front bigger in the rear bike will climb better so on those derailleur bikes we're putting huge 50 tooth cassettes in the back to make those climb better than any other bike on the market and then the next group that we're kind of coming out with now is uh, the belt-driven bike that you mentioned, where that's our first bike that's available in a step-through. It has a huge 30-amp battery. It's available with a derailleur, single-speed chain, single-speed belt, or the roll-off hub. And the roll-off hub with those 14 gears, you actually get, it's the equivalent of even bigger than a 50-tooth 
chain ring. It's actually, I think, 540% range compared to a 50 tooth is 500% range. So that bike has even more gears to pick from. Will climb amazing. It's just a super, a super amazing but expensive part. We're hoping that that uh, there's a couple in testing now. We're hoping that you know if we could get instead of having a 14 speed internal geared hub that costs 2,000, if we could get like a five speed internal hub that costs like 500, it'd be it'd be more interesting. So our bikes range from. 3000 to like those belt driven single speeds are 4600 so they're not cheap but if you compare apples to apples we're probably a thousand to two thousand dollars less than some of the big names out there and then if people want to get a hold of you to talk bikes if they have questions if they want to you know pick your brain or put in an order uh, how do they do that yeah, definitely. They can contact me on Facebook. So Dieter Cocken on Facebook, otherwise on Facebook, Stealth Hunting eBikes. And then the website is stealthhuntingebikes.com. People can order on the website. I usually prefer if they message me or call me just so I can make sure they get exactly what they want. Because I had a couple of people who buy bought on the website and then they get the bike and they love the bike and they're like, Hey, I wish I would have got that rack or whatever for it. So then, you know, I can kind of ask them, what are you going to do with the bike? You know, are you thinking of using a trailer? What trailer do you have? Like this might be what you want so that they can get exactly what they want, you know, right, right away. And, and, uh, you know, that's usually the easiest, easiest way to do it is to message me through the, my personal account or the, the bike account and then definitely follow the follow our facebook page because we try to put bike information out there and you know if we have any deals going on it's it's going to be through the facebook page i i don't uh i don't update the website with any of the deals so yeah just follow along on the page and go from there awesome well i appreciate you coming on here and and kind of explaining to us kind of all things e-bikes so thank you yeah no problem it's it it's a tell you always feel like you're given too much information but you know if anybody has any questions reach out get it figured out awesome thank you